<laughs> I'm Brett, he's Greg, and Greg's already spotted something that's making him chuckle. Ah, Jerry's already at it. Last dance with Mary Jane. Ah, yes, 420. 420. Might be the last significant 420. Yeah. With the legalization of marijuana coming up this summer. Might be the last reason to get together on this day and... You know, you know, as they say, if you smoke them, or if you got them, smoke them. Yeah, I wonder what is going to happen next year. I think it, it sounds like this is a, a date that is means a lot to the to the marijuana community. I I, I say that kind of in jest, but look, I, it, when I know that for those who are are big into that stuff, uh, it's their way of life, and I, I cast no judgment upon that. I used to in my younger days, and then I thought, hey, if they're not hurting anybody, what? Whatever, let them have their fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I guess I'm sure someone will be out there having a peek at what's going on, and maybe they can ask. I'm sure. What are you doing next year? Yeah, man. Did you get all those Doritos and stuff we were going to sell tonight? <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I'll stop by Costco on the way home. I would have just eaten them all. <laughs> I cannot have potato chips in my home. Oh, uh, yeah, fair enough. Corn tortilla chips are in the same category, I suppose. You just made an observation right before we came on the air here. We got to talk about this. What happened yesterday? <laughs> I met a red light yesterday, and okay. you know I'm pretty. I'm mostly patient at the red lights, but um, yeah, individual turning left and uh, one thousand two. Th- All right, come on, it's time to get going. And I leant on the horn, and this person kind of startled. Obviously looking at their phone, completes the turn, and then I realized they had one of those Winnipeg Humane Society specialty license plates, and I felt bad about honking at them. <laughs> yeah, well, Why? Take, well, they're human, humanitarian to a certain point. They like animals. I felt bad. And I realized afterwards I had a chuckle to myself. I, I realized I don't really honk or get mad at people with blue bomber or Winnipeg Jets license plates either. How many people are you honking at that you that you actually have categories of people that you don't honk <laughs> that, at? That are worthy yeah. of being honked at? <laughs> I just realized that I kind of toned down the road rage with people that have the uh, bomber and jets plates. Yesterday I felt bad for the, for the lady with the Humane Society plate that I honked at. I mean, the fact that we're all Manitobans, that's not good enough. I've got to break it down into different categories as to whether or not I should be nice to you on the road or not. So there was no oncoming traffic to prevent her from making this left turn? Oh no! It was a it was a it was a left turn light at a busy intersection. Where it was a dedicated left turn light. It was a green oh. light. Oh well, yeah, green arrow. Yeah, Humane Society license plate. Be darned! I'd be honking too. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're a nice person. If you're a bad driver, get out of my yeah, way. Yeah. Well, I just realized that I felt bad, and I had a moment of self reflection and realize that I'm I discriminate against people on the road based on their license plate good I, bad or otherwise I have made a concerted effort in recent years to try to dial back my road rage because getting angry at the wheel is just such a recipe for disaster and there's nothing you can do when let's no. say you chased after someone what are you going to do if you catch up to them get out and pick a fight that's mm, just going to be that's not smart. lead you to to jail so mm-hmm. but there is a situation a couple weeks back where i was making a left turn i was on regent avenue eastbound at plessy and i was turning left so i was turning left to go towards dougald and uh, I'm in the intersection. I've established myself well into the intersection to turn left, but there's oncoming traffic, and I can't see because there's a bus or a large truck or something 
uh, coming from the other direction to turn left to go north. Also turning left. Yeah, okay. So I can't see. And I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go into the intersection. Excuse me. Until it's safe to do so. Right. Well, the guy behind me in a Jeep or some kind of SUV oh, yeah. got impatient, mm. and he jutted into the intersection and turned. Oh, I've dealt with that, too. And my the road rage, rage went through the roof. I chased after him, and then I had to stop myself. They would... Okay, you're going 75 in a 50. Just slow down. Mm-hmm. What is, you can't do anything. What are you going to do? Write him a ticket? But, you don't oh have that authority. Oh, my God, it was mad. Yeah. Oh, man. I can remember turning left off of Pembina Highway southbound. This is like 13 years ago. I was in my truck with my grandma, and the guy went around me on the median, all four by four guy, on me uh, to go around me to get through because I wasn't turning fast enough for him because he felt safe and and I didn't. Yeah. You know, I'm like uh, 36 remove, months removed from a major car accident at that point. He doesn't know that, but I'm a little bit extra cautious. I got my grandmother in the passenger side of the vehicle. I don't know if it's going to get T-boned. I, I really, you know, looking out for her, right? And uh, yeah. Dude, chill. Yeah, with the left turns, when you're turning left into a, into an intersection, you got to err on the side of caution. And I watched, and I'm partly influenced too, I, I watched a fairly bad crash. Both people involved walked away. This was on Grant Avenue at Wilton. So there was a, there was a car that was, uh, I'm just trying to repicture this. Okay, so there is a car that was heading eastbound on Grant mm-hmm. at Wilton. That's just right beside the, the edge of the Grand Park Shopping Center. Right. And there's a car that was looking to turn north, turn left, uh, southbound. And this car turned left right into oncoming oh, traffic. Man. And it was a huge collision. And I remember seeing the, the woman who was driving the car who then hit the, the turnee. And all I, I, I saw her arms go up. I saw airbags go off. There's fluids leaking out of both cars. It was horrible. So I'm extra, having seen that, I'm right. extra cautious when it comes to left turns. Just play it safe. You're better safe than sorry. All right. Fair enough. Uh, we've got an issue, actually. Fire ambulance police on the scene, Notre Dame and Clifton. Weston is blocked in all directions. Uh, just a follow-up text right after in the last 10 minutes. Must be bad accident. Lots of fire trucks and ambulances can't see the damaged vehicles. So 780-6868 with your traffic tips. Thank you very much. And uh, you'll want to be taking the bus, getting downtown early, early for the Jets game tonight, no matter whether you're going to be in the building or outside at the street party. On Whiteout Way, yeah, you will want to be getting uh, downtown as early as you can. Uh, Donald closing at ten this morning, or is it ten thirty? We'll double check. Dana Spiring joining us this morning, and we will uh, get all the details on the big Whiteout street party down and around Bell MTS Place tonight. Really looking forward to a game tonight. Uh, I know I mentioned it. I've been being chastised by friends and foes alike. Uh, living too much in the past about the Jets and their 3-1 leads, series leads in the 1.0. Listen, uh, the only reason I mention it is because I know there will be other people that will be thinking about it. And this is just a kind of, I think, the last hurdle. If the Jets can put this series away, I think that's the last of the skeletons from 1.0. And we can just move on. And we don't even have to talk about it again. You're right. So, anyway, here's hoping. I'm not going to chastise you for that. A, sports fans, athletes, 
superstition is abound in sports. Yes. So it's hard not to think about that. And when you have a monkey on the back like that, for example, the Jets winning their first playoff game, that monkey on the back, gone. gone. Um, so, yeah, I... I'm not going to chat. I support you, Greg, in, in worrying you, about that. Uh, and it is 10 o'clock, by the way, this morning for uh, Donald. That's when it'll start. That's when it'll be closed. All the people downtown for 420 today, the legislature, the street party, and, of course, the game. Thousands and thousands of people. So you, it might be in your best interest not to drive there yes. tonight. I think that's a great idea. Very patriotic. I feel like I should be... Standing at attention. Yeah. Mackling McGarry with you on this Friday morning. Happy Friday. Justin Trudeau and other Commonwealth leaders are taking aim at eliminating plastic waste. Our oceans are littered with millions of metric tons of it, which is, seri- which is a serious threat to ocean life. As Global National's chief political correspondent David Aiken reports, it's still unclear how this will translate into action. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and more than 40 other Commonwealth heads of government gathered in Buckingham Palace today for good wishes by Queen Elizabeth II. It is a pleasure to welcome you to my own home. Then it was on to business, the state of the world's oceans. The host, British Prime Minister Theresa May, has already announced her country will next year ban some single-use plastics like straws, plastic bags or cutlery, the kind of waste that washes out to sea. We have an opportunity to deliver lasting change that benefits all of our 2.4 billion people. Canada supports the idea of cutting plastic waste in the ocean, but a ban in Canada on plastic straws? Trudeau is not quite there yet. We are very open to a broad range of ideas and suggestions. Uh, We believe in moving forward on evidence-based policy. We know uh, that macroplastics like straws are a significant challenge in the ocean. So instead, Trudeau is preparing what his government is calling a plastics charter or a zero-waste goal for consideration at the G7 summit this summer in Quebec. We saw uh, the federal government took some, uh, you know, commitments at previous G7 summit and do nothing afterwards. So I think that the federal level should be a leader in the federation. We talked to the Plastic Industry Association of Canada this afternoon and they're all in favor of improving ocean health and getting rid of plastics waste. But ban plastic straws and other products? Not surprisingly, the industry says it wants to talk to Ottawa about other solutions. David Aiken, Global National Chief Political Correspondent. And uh, a few weeks back, uh, BBC Earth, and uh, check your listings to see if you have it. Uh, I'm on Shaw. It's on channel 248 on Shaw, I think. 248? Anyway. Uh, so they were running Blue Planet 2. Uh, it's Planet Earth 2, Blue Planet 2, and they did. it was a seven-week series on the oceans and the different kind of life that exists in the oceans, and they, they spent one episode on on our influence on it, and uh, particularly with the use, what happens with plastic trash. In some cases, industrious animals can use it to their advantage to for to add to their homes or whatever. But in other cases, it's uh, it's when it breaks down or sort of breaks down. It's poisoning the animals. It's uh, capturing the animals so they can't you know they, it'll snag them and they can't find the way out. And it was really heartbreaking to see just how much trash there is in the ocean. It's quite startling when they 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 zoom they pe- zoom out and see you see just this massive mass this land mass of garbage yeah it's absolutely disgusting i think we're realizing and finding out that there are cities on the planet that are just still just dumping their trash into the ocean 
If not, where is this stuff coming from? That's the big question. And uh, we have to do something. Biodegradable straws, readily available. So, you know what? I understand they're more expensive. Stop giving them out all the time. Have them as a request item. Boom, done. Solution. Yeah. Like, it's pretty easy. Yeah. I know that uh, whenever I go out and have a drink, I always forget to ask for no straw. And then they give me the drink, and it has a straw. And then I think, well, I just got to pick, take this out and put it on the table, and it's going to go in the trash. Yeah. Got an email here from Martha. She says, people need to clean up plastic. And a lot of emphasis should be put on that, but it should not be banned. Plastic straws, sure, ban them. But there's no such thing as a single-use plastic bag at my house. There are multiple reasons to use and reuse plastic bags. They definitely need to be properly disposed of when no longer usable. And I think Martha echoes the sentiments of a lot of people saying, you know what? Yes, I understand that there are things that are not suitable for the landfill, if we use them and reuse them and recycle them properly, uh, there's actually a little bit of a benefit there. Yeah, oh, the plastic garbage or the plastic bags that I get when I go grocery shopping, those are my garbage bags. Right. Because I only have a little garbage bag, garbage bin under my sink. I have one in the bathroom and I use the Safeway bags or Superstore bags as trash bags. So they all get used. Uh, inevitably, I'm going to have a closet full of them. Uh, it's <laughs> that if I open the door, they'll fall out and consume me, but, uh, they get used. And, uh, Bruce actually emailed me and said, <clears throat> of all the things that environmentalists want banned, I think the milkshake ban, which is really what a straw ban also is, is the hardest idea for me to accept. I love milkshakes, but... That's where a biodegradable straw right. would come in hand. I agree wholeheartedly. Keep those comments coming. We love hearing from you, whether you agree with us or want to admonish us. 204-780-6868 on the text machine or Greg Mackling at cgob.com or Brett at cgob.com. There's a new warning about fake news. The BBC has been forced to deny any connection to a fake newscast that looks alarmingly real. As Global National's Europe Bureau Chief Jeff Semple reports, the case is raising questions about how, how technology can be used to undermine democracy. Breaking news from what certainly looks like the BBC. Welcome to the BBC News Desk. The newscast claims NATO and Russia were exchanging fire, bringing us to the brink of World War III. These are truly extraordinary scenes. As you may have guessed, this video is a fake. The original YouTube version has now been removed, but not before copies were shared widely on social media. It turns out that this video is a fake, and I think we can all be very thankful that it is. It is horrifying stuff. A BBC report by the look of it, by the sound of it. I mean, it opens with a shot of the studio. You've got the BBC News theme, and there is a guy who looks like he could very well be a BBC News presenter with a breaking news bulletin, basically explaining that NATO and Russia have opened fire on each other. A NATO warship firing on a Russian surveillance plane that returned fire somewhere near the Latvian border, sparking you know what amounts to World War III, that the Queen at Buckingham Palace had been evacuated and rushed to safety uh, and that everyone was bracing for some kind of Armageddon. Now, that might sound fake and certainly is, thankfully, as it it turns out, it was. But it was believable enough that it turns out that this video was shared thousands of times. Convincing enough people to force the real BBC to issue a statement. 
Over the last couple of days, we have had people contact various BBC bureaus, mainly in Africa and Asia, as they had seen the video on WhatsApp and wanted to check if it was a real BBC report. We're keen to make clear that this isn't a BBC News report. It was posted first on YouTube, and it was actually part of an experiment. They were all actors, and it was never supposed to be distributed the way it was. Posted on YouTube with a disclaimer claiming that it was fake, but then... That video was shared again and again. Technology has made producing videos like this easier than ever. You've probably heard of a green screen. This is a professional one in a TV studio, but you can create a similar effect with something as simple as a piece of green construction paper. Then you need some editing software, which you can download easily from the internet. And with a few simple clicks, you can make it look like you're in the middle of a television studio or even a war zone. Following that chemical weapons attack in Syria earlier this month, and you'll remember after that attack that the Russians came out and claimed that the British government had faked that attack, that they had staged it, and then almost on cue we saw the hashtag Syria hoax trending on Twitter, retweeted tens of thousands of times. We saw a video circulating that claimed to show children, Syrian children, rehearsing for that very attack. Well, it turns out after some investigations that that video is actually five years old and was produced by an NGO to highlight the danger of chemical weapons. And a skilled video producer can even do this. President Trump is a total and complete dip. This fake video of the former U.S. president was posted online to highlight how video editing technology can alter even the words of world leaders. And spreading fake material is even easier. Analysts say Russia in particular has found new ways of weaponizing misinformation. It's, it's not what happens that's important, it's what people believe. Nothing is now certain, everything is potentially fake, everything is up for challenge. A lot of effort being put into muddy the waters and make sure that no one has a clear picture of what's going on. Fake news has never looked so real. Jeff Semple, Global News, London. So that featured a Global News report from Jeff Semple and also conversation Jeff had with our friends Julie Buckingham and Richard Cluche yesterday on the news. And I think it told the entire story, a little bit behind the story of what happened in the creation of this video that looks incredibly realistic. Yeah, the... Uh the fake news. I, there have been there have been times where I have seen headlines where I thought, "Well, that seems legitimate." But I always, when there's a, something that makes me scratch my head, I always try to double source it, and I'll go to Google and see if I can find anything else. And if it's got a weird website name like uh, Bob's Emporium or something, I might be a little less likely to to believe that it's truth. Gordon Lightfoot. Very much alive, despite reports on Thursday, February 18th, 2010, that the legendary Canadian singer-songwriter had died while on a North American tour. Lightfoot, whose hits include The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, Sundown, as we're hearing right now, and Carefree Highway, was said to have been pronounced dead by a prank message posted on the Twitter microblogging service. See, this is goes back eight years. The microblogging service, Twitter, that you may have never heard of. According to the website of the Globe and Mail newspaper, reports of his death spread quickly on radio, television, and news websites. Yeah, including this radio station and across the Chorus Radio Network, where oh, Charles Adler's 
uh, national afternoon program was on, and I was his technical producer. And the phone rings, and it's uh, so I pick it up, and he says, "Yeah, it's it's Gordon Lightfoot. I'm not dead. Think I can talk to Charles?" <laughs> so, was he was he in the dentist chair when he heard? Because uh, for some reason, I remember that standing up. Oh, maybe. I I think I don't know if it was a dentist chair or if he was just at his office. But yeah. he, that is ringing a bell, Kelly. So yeah. good for you for remembering that. Yeah, it was, and it ended up being a great conversation. Charles was so embarrassed. Oh. My God, he was embarrassed. But because it, it, he got it from a reliable source, he didn't just pull it off of Twitter. He's I think. Uh, a major publication had run with it, so he had no reason to believe that it wasn't true, but it ended up being a great conversation with a Canadian legend. Kelly Moore's here, Shannon Vidal, Jeff Braun, the omnipresent behind the glass. Jerry, I'm Greg, he's Brett. And just uh, several months ago, when Gord Downey passed away, we had people text messaging, we had uh, notifications on Facebook, people were emailing, but until we had it absolutely confirmed, Cal, we did not go ahead with that story until we got the go-ahead from Global News. We're all competitive in this business, and, and we always want to be first, but... More importantly, we want to be right. When I say we, I'm talking about Chorus uh, Entertainment. So I uh, completely and 100% support our company's policy to make sure that we get it confirmed before we go to air with it. So some people might say, oh, well, why didn't you have it first? Well, we wanted to make sure we had it right so that there wasn't a repeat of 2010. Shanley, you ever get hoodwinked by fake news? You know, I, I'm, and I'm trying to think about that. I, I did not get hoodwinked by the Gordon Lightfoot thing because I remember I was in Yellowknife at a radio station my first week on the job. I was getting trained and we got the news coming in. And But we were, you know, we're looking for Gordon Lightfoot songs that we could play. And so we're waiting and waiting to, to, to get the co- confirmation. So we, we actually didn't, we didn't end up running with it. Um so we weren't technically hoodwinked there. And I'm thinking there were a few times, I think, early on in Facebook when, you, you know, you see something and you're like, oh, this is this is happening. Oh, you know, and great controversy. But I can't quite re- recall anything. But uh, my my criteria has really um really increased. I, I'm very careful with what I read, especially mm-hmm. I look at the source first, sure, where, where it yeah. comes from, like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, it's coming from some unknown news website that I've never heard of. But I see my friends still once in a while post these fake news things. Uh, a lot of times that I see my other friends step in like fake, fake, and here's a link to Snopes. And I think more recently, it was around Easter, one of my friends, who's a mom, and, and I can kind of understand that it was a story about uh, these chocolate Easter eggs that might be poisonous to children. It's a well-known brand. And so she's posting this. I, I, I you know, I, I looked on Snopes.com to verify that. It was fake. But then how do you explain that to your friend? You know, how do you, you know, not to, not be not be mean about it? That's you send a direct message. Here's yeah. the link. And and hopefully they take it down. Jeff, you're in an interesting position because you sit in front of the computer. You're writing news. You've got your your uh, AP and your CP newswire coming in. Mm-hmm. But you also have your social media open. Yeah. Uh, do you ever run into a situation where you're seeing things on social media and it's... Uh, awfully appetizing the idea of maybe breaking some news and you just yeah, but sometimes the breaks a bit. You can usually you can usually tell it's like, well, this is kind of weird, and I, you know, what I mean, especially if it's like a, a death of a celebrity or whatever. For one thing, most often it's 
well, they've already been dead for five years. This isn't news. People fall for that a lot. Oh, my God, so-and-so's dead. And it's like, well, they died in 2011. Yeah. But if it's one where you're not expecting it or something like that, it's like, yeah, we'll wait and see. what, if, what Let the wire catch up to it just to make sure kind of thing. And I don't know. On my social media, on my Facebook especially, I at this point, I sort of just glance at it. I don't even read what most of the things people post are just garbage. I look for a good joke. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry will put something funny on there every now and then. That's about it. If it's anything that smacks of uh, sadness or a lecture on how I should be living my life, it gets ignored immediately, <laughs> or if, if not a direct unfollow. So uh, Facebook is pretty easy to ignore the bad stuff on there. For those who are unfamiliar with Snopes, by the way, that Shen Lee mentioned Snopes, uh, it's a website that was started back in 1994 just as an expression of interest in researching urban legends, and it's since grown into the oldest and largest fact-checking site on the Internet, uh, one widely regarded by journalists, folklorists, and laypersons alike as one of the world's leaders on this sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, if you're, ever con- if you're ever curious about something, whether or not to find out if it's real or fake, go to Snopes. 6.54, and uh, we're talking about this if you're just tuning in, because Jeff Semple, uh, big report last night on Global News and all around the world, this fake BBC News report that looked right. incredibly that real. Looked, yeah, that looked legit. A lot of them, you can sort of tell just from the graphic design of it all, it's like, well, this is clearly yeah. not to be trusted because it looks like a third grader did it. Right. Spelling mistakes and things like that. Well, right? Jeff yeah. walked us through the steps and walked you through the steps of how it can be done, and it looks incredibly real. And Jerry, you made a great observation in listening to that. What does a BBC presenter look like? You Have you seen the video? I have not seen the video, Well, I no. can tell you that... Jeff is absolutely correct when he categorizes this guy as looking as though he's a BBC parenter, presenter. Just the way he was dressed, his hair was done just a certain way. Uh, very little reason to not believe what so was being said. The, he's got the part just right yes, here. Sir. It's slicked back just a certain way. He's wearing his Ted Baker suit. Everything's it, good man. to go. You look like you're a BBC presenter. Uh, what do you go think he it. might sound like? I think he would sound quite like this. Hello and welcome to the BBC. <laughs> There's a war going on now. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty close to that, actually. Uh, Kelly, you ever been uh, been hoodwinked by the, the fake news? The last uh, situation that I can remember was that embarrassing uh, incident for CNN during the Boston Marathon bombing when uh, I don't remember the exact... I know it was on the Friday night. They were searching for the... Uh, uh, the two suspects. I don't remember the name of the reporter. Mm-hmm. I just remember that the information was incorrect and they had to backtrack later. I'll, uh, uh, I'll, I'll look into that because I know it, it spread like wildfire and it changed a lot of, uh, I think, news uh, bureaus uh, uh, ways of thinking in terms of how to report news and making and putting more of an emphasis on making sure that the information was correct and accurate. Versus uh, first. But yeah. Correct yeah. versus first, right? Absolutely, yeah. The, I, I think some uh, there was a sh- some shifts in policy that way. That's the last one that I can really That's remember. That's five years ago already now, Yeah, right? I know. Gee, yeah, it, uh, it doesn't seem that long ago, doesn't. and yet, yeah, yeah half it a decade really already. Yeah. I, I think the, the last time I got really caught on something was a picture that was purported to be from the pipeline protests in North Dakota. And I shared that on my Facebook page and then quickly realized it was actually a picture of Woodstock. Yeah. And someone had been perpetuating this. And it was the first time I'd really encountered someone trying to create something fake. And I, I pulled it very embarrassed uh, right after that. 
studio is that? Sounds like DreamWorks. Yes. DreamWorks. Your recorder's getting very good, Jerry. Mackley McGarry, Friday morning. Hey, just before we start talking about movies real quick, Brian Bowman just tweeted out the fact that the Winnipeg sign has been synced to the goal light Ooh, at Bell MTS Place. Neat. And so when the Jets score, meow, meow, the meow, Winnipeg meow. sign will go red, white, red, <laughs> white, red, white. So there that's you awesome. go. I don't know if you, that's how you want to watch the game tonight. Just sit in front of the sign and wait for the sign to go red, white, red, white, red, white. But <laughs> kind of cool. Anyway, the Couch Potatoes are in the does studio. It, does it turn black if Minnesota scores? It should. And yeah. ooze all sorts of stinky yeah. stuff. Anyway, we digress. We've got uh, Jeff Braun to my left and Brett McGarry to the right. They are better known as... The Couch Potatoes. That's right. We're going to have a look at what's new in theaters. And uh, Jeff, I think you were pretty excited about this uh, first am. one. It's a comedy. Um, it's a sequel comedy. The first one was dumb. This one looks even dumber. But yes. it's not Dumb and Dumber. It's Super Troopers 2. Un, deux, trois. Let's do it. They've been waiting for a second chance. Waiting for their country to need them again. That time is meow. What do you guys give me if I kill that bird? Farber, that's a bald eagle. Get away, baldy! Yeah! Guys, what do I win? A one-way ticket to hell. <laughs> that's just, he's trying to bald eagle. Yeah. Come he's, on. It's Farber, movie, he's eh? the worst. It's just a movie, guys. So, I don't know, they go to Canada this time, so it, it looks like there'll be, you know, a lot of in-jokes that We'll get more than the Americans will get when they watch it, I guess. Who are the Super Troopers? Uh, it's a comedy troupe. I think they're called Broken Lizards. And okay. they did Beer Fest. And oh, Beer Fest is great. Well, they did that one that was set, like, on a tropical island. I can't remember. Oh, it yeah. Called. It was, a, like, a murder mystery. Yeah. Camp Dr- uh, Club, Club Dread. Club Dread. That was Club pretty Dread. Yeah. Didn't they crowdsource to make this second film? They did. I can't remember what their goal was. They got it with in half a day or something and went way over it, too. Pretty cool, so, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and they're, so they're, they're Vermont Highway Troopers? Is that it? Yep. And okay. they go, they pose as Mounties in this one or something. I don't know. I, I did not, I purposely didn't really watch the whole trailer because I didn't want to get spoiled. So other than... Hey, Tim Horton's ghost! That's yeah. about all you saw? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That well, was I Rob can, Lowe. I can tell you that uh, the, the, it's not getting the best reviews, 32% no. and uh, descending Who on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't think the first one got good reviews either. Oh, well, let's double check that, actually. Just Because, yeah. you know, it's been out now, as you pointed out, since 2001, so it has its huge following. Uh, yeah, the first one, 35%. Yeah. So it's right in line <laughs> with the go. first one. Perfect. Uh, this next one is from Amy Schumer. Before I do that, though, Greg's pointing at his screen. Yeah, 208% of their goal was reached. 4.6 million U.S. funds raised to make this film, by nice. the way. Nice. Very nice indeed. Up next, something from uh, someone who was uh, defeated by Jerry D. in Last Comic Standing, as we mentioned last week. Amy Schumer in a movie called I Feel Pretty. I've been on all these sites. No one even looks at the profile. The picture is all that matters, and I'm sick of it. Thank you for that pep talk. Yes, thank you. On April- 20th. I've always wanted to be undeniably pretty. You hit your head pretty hard. Wait, that's me. Yes. I'm beautiful. Change the way you see yourself. I can eat whatever I want and still look like this. Shout out to my genetic makeup. 
I Feel Pretty. Rated PG-13. Okay, so the deal with this movie is she, Amy Schumer, uh, b- falls, bangs her head, and, yep. and wakes up thinking she's the most beautiful woman on earth. She, What she sees in the mirror is the picture of perfection, and it gives, she has this outrageous confidence. And I've read some scathing reviews that say that it's supposed to, it's trying to deliver a message of empowerment, that no matter what you look like. And she, not like she she's just an average person who is not like a, a rail thin model or anything. She's just an average person who has a couple extra pounds or whatever. So they're trying to deliver a message of empowerment that you don't have to look like the, the cover of Cosmo, but some reviews say it's just, it falls flat on its face and it's actually yeah. offensive. And other reviews say it's okay. That's what I thought when we saw the trailer. I was like, oh, I could backfire on a reel easily. Because also people laying down money for a comedy on a Friday night aren't necessarily looking for like a lecture on body shaming. Yeah. You know what I mean? Trusty Super Troopers, I guarantee you, they won't try to teach you anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pass on the Amy Schumer uh, movie. Uh, she, she's grading on me now. Really? Yeah, overexposed now, I think. Oh, my. Okay. That's, just, that's my take. No, well, that, that tends to happen often with just a side conversation. There's always a, like an it person for comedy, right? There was Jim yeah. Carrey for years. Seth Rogen was one. Uh, Melissa Adam McCarthy. Sandler. Adam Sandler. Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Yeah. Uh, the next one. Something called You Were Never Really Here. What's the lead? Senator Albert Fato. His daughter's missing. Her name is Nina. Don't worry. I'll get her. Yeah, can you hear me? My name is Joe. You got him. What is going on? The cops are involved. Where is she? It's okay, Joe. So this one stars Joaquin Phoenix, a missing teenage girl, a brutal and tormented enforcer on a rescue mission. Corrupt power and vengeance unleash a storm of violence that may lead to his awakening. He's playing at Grant Park. That's kind of your favorite place. You might yeah. you know, see this there, uh, Jeff. Maybe. He looks really hot and sweaty in this thing. And it, like, <laughs> it's just too intense. You know what I mean? It just, it's like, oh, that looks like an exhausting movie. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, then finally, there is one called Chappaquiddick, which has been uh, much like you were never really here. It was It's opened and limited and is yeah. now expanded here into Winnipeg. Here's a clip. My dad once said to me, tragedy has a way of defining people. What the hell happened, Teddy? They're treating this like a crime scene. We tell the truth, or at least our version of it. Senator, why did we get special answers? deeper than I thought. These theatrics are not going to hold up in a court of law. What have I done? You talk about it, people. Chappaquiddick stars Jason Clark, who's been in so many movies in recent years. He's was, old... was he in that the dinosaur TV show that was on a few years ago? Was that him or is that a guy that just sort of looked like him? Uh, I think that was a guy that just sort of looked like him. Oh, I know who you're talking Terra about. Nova. Oh, yes. Hang on. I, now I need to look that <laughs> up. I Terra love when Nova. you guys go down a road like this <laughs> because I think it's only me that has discussions that the couch potatoes are no. having conversations like the guy that looks like the guy was in that dinosaur TV show about oh. six years ago. He does look like him. His name is that guy's name is Jason O'Mara. Oh, he, he even was, has. Oh. He was in Band of Brothers. Okay, so look, you got Jason Clark, Kate Mara. <laughs> look at how close that is, Jeff. You're it's really true. on to something yep. there. I don't know. That's right. And Chappaquiddick about the scandal and mysterious events regarding the drowning of a young woman as Ted Kennedy drove his car off a bridge. So that's getting decent reviews. Is that as Mary well. Jo Kopechny, I think, is her name. Correct. Yes. Kate Mara plays her, and Jason Clark plays Ted Kennedy. So those are the four offerings for the weekend. 
Jeff endorses Super Troopers. Yep. Okay. I endorse it too. Is that okay? Of course it is. Okay, I'm endorsing. Super it is 420 too. after all. There's a reason why they picked this day. It's a big Absolutely. stoner comedy. That movie's been done for like eight months already. There's like, no, we're waiting until 420. <laughs> and uh, we'll say hello to Debs as well, who texted us. Yeah, let's hear it for 420. 420 Friday. 420, 420, 420, 420. Happy 420. Go Jets. <laughs> Good day for Debs. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jeff Braun. Couch potatoes tomorrow at noon. Sunday at 6 p.m. And you can get the podcast on Google Play and on iTunes. Lots of stories continue to come out of Saskatchewan with regards to the Humboldt tragedy, including this article written by Winnipegger Jessica Scott Reed, published in McLean's magazine. For this hockey wife, the Humboldt tragedy hits close to home. And Jessica Scott Reed joins us from Denmark where former Manitoba Moose Brandon Reed is a coach now of the Allberg Pirates. Correct, Jessica? Did I get that right? You got that all right, yeah. How are the Pirates doing this year? I know it's been a successful uh, run for Brandon as coach. Uh, some uh, championship hockey in the offing? Yeah, that's right. Tonight we are actually uh, heading out to game four of the finals. The series is 3 nothing, so it could be the game. Well, congratulations. Uh, Brandon uh, was uh, a fan favorite during his time here in Winnipeg. And uh, Jessica, I have to tell you, until I read your article, very well written, by the way, uh, I had not thought about and correlated the Humboldt bus tragedy to the tragedy in Russia, September 6th, 2011. Maybe you could give us all a little bit of a history lesson what happened that day. Yeah, that uh, that awful day in hockey history for us more, I suppose, on a, on a global reach um, beyond just the Canadian hockey world. Uh, it was the day that the locomotive um, Yaroslavl team in the KHL, uh, their plane crashed, and uh, I believe the entire team died that day. Including their coach, Brad McCrimmon, with Manitoba Connections here, the Brandon Weekings, uh, brother of Kelly McCrimmon, now the assistant general manager of the Vegas Golden Knights, owner of the Brandon Weekings. And so uh, that tragedy struck hockey uh, deeply. Talk about uh, why that was so personal to you and how it correlates back to Humboldt. I do think that within the hockey world, these things do affect everyone, whether you're a hockey wife or a hockey parent, a hockey player, a hockey fan. Um, So anytime something like this happens, we all feel it. Um, At the time, my husband was playing uh, in Switzerland, and just a week before, I had spoken with a member of that team. His name was Robert Dietrich. Uh, Brandon had played with him in Dusseldorf, Germany, a couple years prior. And we were just chatting on Facebook Messenger about how excited he was to now be playing in Russia. Uh, He was congratulating us on our recent wedding. Uh, And that was it, just a regular chat you'd have with an old teammate. And and then a week later, tragically, he died. It was um, shocking and disturbing, and uh, this new tragedy really brought back those feelings again. It's uh, Brett McGarry here, and um, when you, when your husband would play, when he would step out onto the ice, um, how much of the emotion that you had, I mean, you're there to, to support and cheer, but was there also uh, any fear, uh, fear of injury in hockey, which can be a dangerous sport? Oh, of course. Yeah, that's something I discussed in the article that 
you know, we already have such a fear. It's it's innate every time you step out onto the ice. Injuries happen, um, sometimes awful, sometimes career-ending. My husband's career ended in Russia a couple years after that uh, by injury. And you just know that that's something that can happen every time that they go out there and play, even in, in practice. But it's something that we, we just accept as part of the deal. And then when the tragedy happened um, in Russia, and then again, a renewed this time in Saskatchewan, uh, it really shows you that there's more risk involved that we hadn't really thought of before. But now we're really thinking about just them getting to the game. It's, it's a sad part to, to think that we have to actually be concerned about that now, too. That's sort of been the given all along, right, Jessica? The That's the piece that we count on to happen no matter what. Uh, growing up where you grew up uh, here in Winnipeg, uh, we've all seen the prairie winter storms, and, and it's very rare that school gets cancelled, let alone a hockey game, and we just take it for granted that our kids, our friends, our sons, our brothers, our sisters will get to whatever event they've gotten on that bus to attend. Yeah, I think it's like a badge of pride, you know, growing up in Winnipeg, it seemed like the worse the weather, the more likely we were going to head out into it and get on with our day. And I think the same is thought about hockey teams uh, in that, you know, no matter what happens out there on the road, uh, the weather, the any kind of delays, they get there. The game is going to go on, um, unless, of course, there's a blizzard that stops a jet flight. But um, other than that, people, they just they keep going, they get to their destination, and that game gets played. We don't really think about um, these risks that that can that can be present. So after the locomotive plane crash in 2011, uh, when your husband had to travel for hockey, uh, particularly when he got on a plane, um, how difficult was that for, or was it difficult for you to to just sort of step back and and let him go do his thing? I think because at the time he was in Switzerland, and in that league, the travel is, is almost none. They travel by bus, but really to get from one end of Switzerland to the other is like three hours. So at the time, I felt you know relieved that it didn't seem to really affect our little situation. But then two years later, he signed in Moscow, and it became very real very fast that, yeah, he's going to be getting on these Russian planes on a regular basis, and it definitely, definitely made me nervous. And now in the wake of the Humboldt tragedy, that kind of security we thought we had with buses, uh, now it's not there anymore. Now every time he gets on a bus, even here in Denmark, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about them. Jessica, we just got about uh, maybe about 60 seconds here, but could you quickly give us a behind-the-scenes uh, into the, the world of, of being a hockey wife and, and what will it be like in the arena tonight if, uh, if the Allberg Pirates win a championship? Who will you be sitting with this evening? Oh, I'm going to be sitting with uh, more wives uh, from the players on the team. It's a little bit different dynamic now that I'm a coach's wife, but it basically stays the same. We're all uh, we'll be the ones cheering the loudest. We're the ones that fed them their meal before they they got on the ice or got on the bench. Uh, we know, you know, all that's been put into this preparation for this big day, and uh, so we're just hoping to be there and be part of the celebration. All right, Jessica Scott Reed joining us from. Denmark, thank you very much for taking the time to tell us a little bit more about your story. We appreciate the time. Thanks so much. I love the name of the, you know, you've got the Bundesliga for soccer in Germany and you've got uh, the Premiership and Great Britain for soccer in hockey in Denmark in their top league. It's called the Metalligan.
Metaligan. Metaligan. I love it. That sounds cool. It yeah. sounds like a, like a like a metal band. It does. Maybe mm, that might be a good idea for a heavy metal band name. Albrook Pirates. Brandon Reed played one, two, three, four parts of four seasons with the Manitoba Moose here. Jessica Scott Reed, uh, his wife, joining us from Denmark, who is uh, from Winnipeg. Just a quick follow up to a couple of text messages here. Debs heard us uh, read all of her texts out loud where, we, where she was saying, 420, 420, yeah, 420, all right, 420, go Jets. And then uh, and then she followed up by saying, that made me laugh. I suspect, Debs, that many things, most things probably make you laugh if you're <laughs> as excited as you are about 420. So, hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for weighing in. And uh, we also want to say hey to Neil, who says, uh, good morning, guys, just sitting here at a train. Go figure. Just want to say thank you for the morning show. You guys do it right. I also want to say a big thank you to CJOB. I won tickets last October to the Two Cellos concert. Uh, that was last night. We announced that show. Richard and Julie were giving tickets away, and the show was last night at Bell MTS Place. It was awesome. Amidst the chants of Go Jets Go, the crowd was great, and those guys know how to play a cello. So again, thank you. Thank you, Neil, for sharing with us that you got to go to the show and enjoy it. I got a little chills there just le- listening to Neil's text message there. That is really cool. Chanting Go Jets Go at a concert. We had them chanting Go Jets Go at the Grace Hospital Gala the other night too. So <laughs> That's right. it really is everywhere and today will be no different. In fact, it'll be heightened. Winnipeg will turn white all over downtown as another Jet Street Party gets underway for Game 5. So far each of these street parties have been bigger than the last. Economic Development Winnipeg says today's event could see as many as 15 15,000 attendees pack into the outdoor party to talk about how these street parties are helping to revitalize Winnipeg's downtown. We are joined live on 680 CJOB by the president and CEO of Economic Development Winnipeg, Dana Spiring. Good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing great, Dana. Cannot wait until puck drop at 6.30 tonight, but there'll be lots to do between now and then, getting ready for the game. I know so many people in the city are so excited about this. Is is this as big or is it bigger than you could have imagined? <laughs> this event has blown all of our expectations. You know, and when we started this, we thought we might get 1,000 people coming down to, to be outside and, and to celebrate the Jets early on. I mean, it wasn't warm in Winnipeg when we started. Uh, there was some cold winter winds, and, uh, and we thought we would get, you know, some people coming on their way in or from the game, and then we might get about 1,000 others to, to come and participate. And, and as you know, I mean, our first game, we saw 5,500 fans sit outside and watch the game. And last Friday when it was freezing out, uh, we had about 9,000. So spring has arrived in Winnipeg, and, and we have huge expectations for tonight. As the kids might say, it, it, it's going to be off the hook tonight. <laughs> it's going to be lit. Winnipeg is lit. <laughs> and I watched that clip from NBC Sports. It was three seconds long, Dana, that they had tweeted out on Saturday morning or late Friday night, showing a little bit of a crane shot, and you could see the uh, City Place building in the background, yeah. basking in the sunshine, beautiful blue sky, and then the Met, and then the arena, and everyone jumping up and down. It was three seconds that just... Just got my spine tingling every time I looked at it. You know what? I, I couldn't agree with you more. And when you think of the publicity that Winnipeg is getting across North America right now, I mean, we are Canada's team, and, and you're seeing our fans come out in full force to show their community spirit and their you know love of hockey. And, and it's it looks so good on us. I'm so proud to be a Winnipegger when I see those shots uh, from NBC or TSN or whoever is. Uh, 
broadcasting them coast to coast. Is there a maximum capacity for these things? Like, do you have? Is there a possibility that you have to turn people away? You know what? There is. Um, you know, we we think we've planned for quite a big crowd tonight, so we've got room for just over fifteen thousand people. We've also got the Millennium Park Library, which is an alcohol-free zone. Um, that we've, you know, kind of earmarked for families, but we've got a lot more capacity in there as well. Uh, it is alcohol-free, but we can take a little bit of overflow in there. I mean, we need to make sure when we do these street festivals that people are safe and the emergency crews and Winnipeg police have the room they need to do what they need to do. Um, and, and so, you know, to the extent that we get to those maximum capacities, the police will be turning people away. But, uh, you know, we haven't got there yet, and we think we've done a pretty good job at giving ourselves enough buffer to make sure that, you know, everyone who wants to come down and experience this can ex- experience it. Dana, I was reminiscing about uh, Glenn Murray's street party at Portage in Maine years ago. Amanda Marshall played a concert yeah. there, and, and I can remember being down there with a couple of friends from BC and, and my brother and walking down Portage Avenue, and you can see these buildings like you can't see them when you're driving or even stopped at a, a stoplight, right? It's a whole other uh, experience altogether. I, I think we've proven that given a rallying point, uh, we are as proud as you can be. And on my way back to the car on Friday night, I heard someone in the Skywalk say, that's what revitalization looks oh, like great. to me. How do we capitalize on this? I know we can't always count on the, the Jets to be doing well in the playoffs. How do we do something like this on a more regular basis, if you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, you know what? We're, we're getting there. The momentum in Winnipeg has shifted. So, you know, I remember those parties as well, the downtown. And, but we went through a whole series of time where we stopped investing in our city. You know, we didn't have Bell MTS Place. We didn't have an investors group field. We didn't have a new airport or a Cinnaboyne Park to go and, you know, get us together. We've, we've now spent the last, you know, decade or so investing in those assets. The momentum in Winnipeg has shifted, and we have so much to be proud of. I think that sometimes Winnipeggers are our own worst enemies, right? We're still talking about potholes and mosquitoes. But if you were in Winnipeg last summer, you didn't find any mosquitoes, right? We've got to start talking about those great things, and we've got to find reasons to get people together and get people celebrating. The Jets have been an amazing uh, catalyst for that this year, and, and we're going to have lots of them. I, I expect to be celebrating in November when the Bombers knock it out of the park, too. So, you know, we've, we're going to find reasons to do that, but I think Winnipeggers just need to be ambassadors, and we need to tell the stories. And, you know, when I see pictures of Winnipeg broadcast on NBC all over North America, that's what I want to see, and that's what I want Winnipeggers to talk about, not potholes. Everyone has potholes. Let's talk about the fact that our fans get together safely and respectfully and they celebrate you know something that's this great winnipeg story and as far as getting down there tonight because there's going to be potentially fifteen thousand people outside another fifteen thousand people yeah. inside and then you've got the people celebrating 420 at the legislature there's going to be a lot of people <laughs> downtown so what would your recommendation be as far as getting down there well, you know, transit service is running, so they, there is some detours and there are some, you know, uh, adjustments that, we, that we've had to make to the transit schedule just to accommodate the street festival. Uh, but buses are running. I would just encourage people to, to go early, give themselves lots of time. You know, it's going to be 15 degrees. It's a great day to go for a nice walk and check out, you know, downtown from a different vantage point. Um, there's a lot of surface parking lots that are still open. And a lot of people have been using Tapcar, which is the new... Um, ride-sharing service that, that is around. And on Friday, you know, they, they had 2,000 rides on Tapcar. So there are things that are available, and, and, you know, we're trying to make this city more cosmopolitan as we go, so we have services like Tapcar. 
those things are around and, you know, people will, will have to find uh, various ways to get around. But, I, you know, the experience that we had last week that was that traffic wasn't terrible and, you know, there were still lots of places for people to park and, and get to where they needed to go. Uh, walk won't be a big deal at all tonight, either before or after the game. So uh, park far away if you have to drive and, and just enjoy a little bit of a walk. Dana, this is exciting stuff. I hope we're still discussing this well into June. Oh, I do too. I'll be here. All right, Dana. Thank you for this. Take care. Have a great day, guys. Dana Spiring, President and CEO of Economic Development Winnipeg. Once again, tonight's Donald Street Party, a.k.a. Whiteout Way is going to be from Donald to on Donald from Portage to St. Mary, and then they're also expanding it along Graham from Smith to Hargrave. I guess some of the kids have school off today. Yeah. Didn't realize mine are at school, but uh, lots are off. So if you're enjoying a day off with your kids, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> 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 Taking so much pleasure in other people's pain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> These kids ever go to school anymore? You do love your kids, right? I adore them, <laughs> especially when they're at school. <laughs> well, then, a Winnipeg basketball player has made quite the leap. Emily Potter, a graduate of Glenlawn Collegiate, has signed a free agent contract with the WNBA's Seattle Storm. This marks the first time, Brett, in Manitoba basketball history that a player from Manitoba has signed a contract with an WNBA franchise. Emily joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Emily, congratulations. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. The, fir- the last time I saw you face-to-face, do you remember, Emily, last time? Do you remember meeting me for the first time? I'm sorry, I don't remember. That's okay. I, I was I set you up for that one. It was September 12, <laughs> 2011, at, at, wow. at then MTS Center. You were there for uh, Steve Nash night when yeah, he okay. uh, when when uh, he received an international award from the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. I was there with my twins, and you were there with your mom, who I've known for well, we won't say how long. It's been a really long time. <laughs> so this is really special to have you on the air with us this morning. Awesome. I'm, I'm thankful. Thanks for having me on. So how did this come about? I mean, you've been at the U- University of Utah. You're a standout there for the Utes. And uh, now to sign with the Seattle Storm. Uh, what on earth? How did this come about? Yeah, so, I mean, um, I've been at Utah for the last five years playing and getting my education. And um, the draft was a week ago eight days ago and they draft 36 people. So it's kind of slim chances. I wasn't expecting to be drafted, but my agent did a really good job talking to other teams. And right after the draft ended, she called me and said that um, Seattle Storm wanted me, wanted to bring me into training camp. So obviously I was super excited. And then I had to do all the, had to do all the paperwork and get everything figured out. And then it was announced a couple of days ago. So I'm really excited. So can you tell us a little bit about what the uh, how the basketball culture is different in the United States? You played for Utah, uh, where college basketball uh, across the United States really is a completely different animal than it is here in Canada. So just maybe tell us from your experience how it's different. Yeah, I think it definitely comes down to like the amount of support we get and the amount of money we have. Um, our football program, you know, they, they're the team with a lot of TV deals. Um, 
and bringing in a lot of money for the school, and that kind of gets spread around to all other programs. Um, and we have great facilities because of that, and we get a lot of fan support. So, I mean, I would love to see that happen in the uh, youth sports like across Canada as well. So, Emily, was this part of the plan all along? Was pro basketball part of the goals that you'd set for yourself? Yeah, I think not right from the beginning. Um, it just kind of kind of along the way, ever since I was little, I was like, yeah, I want to play Division One basketball. And then um, once I got here, I was like, okay, this is something I can do. Like, what's next? And I just want to keep playing at the highest level. So the WNBA would, you know, be the next step. And I'm just looking at the, the WA, WNBA attendance, and I see that the average attendance in this league is 7,700, uh, which is, I think, pretty spectacular for uh, a league like this. I mean, I remember going to see pro basketball here in Winnipeg back when the Winnipeg Thunder took on the Saskatoon Storm, and I think there were maybe 3,500 people. So the, the, you know, this league has really, uh, I think when it first launched, a lot of people scoffed at it, right? It started in 1996, a professional sports league for women. Come on. And here we are 22 years later, and it's, it's thriving. Yeah, I think they're definitely working hard at it. And right now there's 12 teams, and hopefully that will keep um, expanding. And I'd love to see it keep growing. So as one Winnipegger heads to Utah, to Salt Lake City, and Desiree Scott to play professional women's soccer, you're on your way to Seattle to embark on another journey, another part of your incredible basketball journey. And uh, when do things get underway? It looks as though the season's not that far off. Yeah, it all happens pretty fast. So I leave next Friday to head to Seattle, um, and then practices start on the Sunday, the 29th. Um, so we'll have training camp, and final cuts will be made by May 17th, but there is like cuts before that. So it's, it's a trial for everybody. So um, I'm, I'm willing to stick around as long as they'll have me. <laughs> Well, good old Todd McCulloch's not too far away from you. Winnipegger as well, played in the NBA. He lives on Bainbridge Island, so uh, maybe you should look him up. He'll probably take you under his wing and uh, look out for it. He has his own Slurpee machine in the basement (laughs) if you get uh, homesick. I would definitely... um be very thankful to have one of those Slurpees. It's been a, it's been a while since I've had a Winnipeg Slurpee. I miss them. <laughs> Emily, congratulations. It's been great to catch up to you. Sorry about uh, setting you up on that first question. Uh, just super proud of you and happy for your entire family and your mom and uh, everybody who's been a part of this journey for you. Uh, it's just another step along the way. We'll keep in touch. Thank you. Appreciate it. Emily, Emily Potter joining us to talk about joining the Seattle Storm in the WNBA. Emily is a graduate of Glenlawn Collegiate. She played for Utah. She is their biggest scorer of all time, biggest rebounder, uh, 200 blocks in her career. Uh, so that is pretty huge. And uh, she will open the season May 20th against the Phoenix Mercury. Women's National Basketball Association, 12 teams. That's pretty cool and uh, good for her for signing this. This is really a spectacular success story for a Winnipeg basketballer. I've been uh, keeping an eye on Emily's uh, college career, obviously, with uh, a lot of affection. So this is a really big deal and uh, so happy to be a part of the celebration here this morning. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, thanks for spending part of your day with us. Happy Friday. Next week is Infertility Awareness Week in Canada. 
It was established back in 1989 to raise awareness about infertility and the issues surrounding. John Waldman is with Fertility Matters Canada, and he joins us live now on 680 CJOB. Good morning, John. Good morning. I know you're a big Jets fan. <laughs> how are you handling? How are you handling last uh, couple of weeks here? You know what? It's been exciting. Uh, as somebody who works downtown, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, crazy at times. So I try to, you know, make a way home. But you know, it's, you, you can't replicate the energy in the city for anything. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Hey, uh, why is this cause so important to you? Why did you uh, get involved with Fertility Matters Canada? So my wife and I struggled for six years to conceive. Um, we went through a couple of procedures locally, um, and amidst our struggles, um, we discovered uh, what was known as the Infertility Awareness Association of Canada, now known as Fertility Matters Canada, um, and we received great support from our peers from the overall network um, and ended up finding the solution for us, which was to go to Victoria, B.C. Uh, to have our IVF done and come home with our daughter. Just looking at your website here, uh, fertilitymatters.ca, and there's a post that went up just a couple of days ago, in fact, uh, mm-hmm. and it's labeled, I can't actually read the, the, entire, <laughs> the entire headline, it's, right, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but can we all agree that infertility blank sucks? Can you tell us a little bit about that and why it sucks? Um, it sucks for a number of reasons. First of all, the impact that it has on you emotionally, financially, um, within your relationships, both with your partner, with your friends and family who are having children as you're waiting um, to get your solution for what should be natural is agonizing. Um, everything that happens with it, um, from virtually every aspect of your life gets hit. You know, it can be something as simple as an, a co-worker um, announcing that, they've, uh, that they're having a child or um, being invited to kids' birthdays, being invited to uh, any kind of event, be it a, a religious event or any sort of thing where their focus is on children. It just becomes so hard for you to be involved and it can lead to really depressive nights afterwards um, when people start to say the inappropriate things of, you know, if you're, you know, when are you going to, when are you guys going to have a baby to, you know, if you guys just relax and that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I imagine there are lots of pieces of, pieces of advice that people who are fortunate enough to conceive uh, almost at will uh, have for you, right? It, it must yeah. get awfully frustrating. It, it is. And, there, and, there's, and it can be as simple as, like I said, uh, you know, if you just relax, um, it'll happen. And that was actually uh, some ill advice that uh, happened over in the UK over the last uh, couple of weeks. It's actually caused a bit of a stir um, because it was said by uh, somebody who should know better within the fertility sphere. Um, but in addition to that, it can be something like, you know, if you guys just have a little bit of wine, which actually, you know, doesn't do anything for you, uh, for you. Uh, in those, uh, in those, in those moments where you need to try to be at your best to conceive. Um, but, you know, anybody, you know, you, you hear so, I mean, so many different things, um, many of which you can't, uh, can't say on air, but it, the, if you talk to anybody who is going through infertility, um, you know, the best thing is, uh, you know, just listen to them, try not to give advice, but have more of the open ear than the open mouth, I guess, my best uh, advice. What is the situation in Manitoba as far as fertility clinics and doctors? So currently there is uh, one facility, uh, Heartland, um, a couple times in their 
uh, in their existence. They were very low um, on the doctor scale, um, as low as one uh, operating doctor with um, of retirements, et cetera, happening in the last couple of years. Um, there are now three doctors at the clinic, and from what I understand, there may be more coming. Um, but, you know, you're still looking at a situation in Manitoba where that's only one clinic. And no matter how many doctors you put into that clinic, there's still going to be a long wait list when you consider that one in six Canadian couples are struggling with infertility. Um, and infertility is defined as having trouble conceiving for over a year. So based on those statistics alone, you're looking at uh, at individuals and couples who are not only looking within Manitoba, but are having to go elsewhere. Uh, my wife and myself are an example where we had to go to Victoria. Um, I know uh, couples who have explored uh, both in Canada, say in Calgary and Toronto, Montreal, etc. Um, people have gone south of the border to Fargo, which apparently has a great facility, um, gone overseas even to, um, to the Czech Republic, which has become popular for egg donation. Um, and really, there's there are so many outward possibilities, but ultimately, um, there has to be more done in Manitoba to provide the care needed for this very large population that needs help with assisted reproductive technologies. John Waldman is with Fertility Matters Canada. Next week is Infertility Awareness Week. And uh, before we let you go here, John, in mm-hmm. 60 seconds or less here, uh, what what is the message that you'd like to get out that maybe we haven't uh, gotten out to this point in our conversation or something you'd like to reemphasize? I think there's uh, two full things. First of all, um, that if you are struggling with infertility, that there are local supports available for you. Um, through Facebook, there are uh, there's a support group as well as a live group that we hold every month um, at various uh, locations. So anybody can reach out to me. Um, my best through Twitter is at John Walton, J-O-N-W-A-L-D-M-A-N. Um, and along with that, um, we are um, seeking uh, fundraising opportunities. Um, through fertilitymatters.ca, we're going to be starting a pin campaign, um, and these the money goes towards awareness, providing support um, and advocacy um, on local, national, provincial scales. John Waldman from Fertility Matters Canada, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Once again, next week is Infertility Awareness Week. You can go to fertilitymatters.ca for more information on this important topic. Well, I tried to put together this montage of uh, music that would celebrate tonight's game. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, but some of the songs are still pretty good. <laughs> Mackling the Gary till 10 o'clock. You know this one? Let's get ready to rumble! Of course I do. Is this the Jock Jams thing? Yep. Yeah. So you got to think, the, the group 2 Unlimited... I think they're from the Netherlands. They must just be soaking up royalties from this song and the Twilight Zone because they still get played since yeah. the early 90s. Little Emerson, Lake, and Palmer here. Okay. Get you worked up. I'm just, I'm, I'm determining whether or not this is enough to get me worked up. Well, it's just a kind of a preamble. Yeah, it, it's getting me worked up, all right, but in a Brett Smash kind of way. All right, how about this? Let's get you worked up. Heard it too many times. Next. Too cliche? Yeah, let's get something else here. All right, well, you're going to have to live through a few seconds of Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> they play this before every kickoff, I think, in uh, Minnesota now at the Vikings games. They used to play Start Me Up by the Stones. I would say this is a better yeah. 
if, 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 if adrenaline rush is what you're looking for, yeah, yeah this one's better. A little crescendo there. What is this? Paul McCartney and Wings. No. No. Not this one either. No. Although Taron Edgerton from Kingsman is going to play Elton John in the, the movie they're making about Really? Him. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I had no idea. I just learned that this morning. Well, I guess I failed you. <laughs> no! <laughs> just spitting in your stew. What's this one? It's from 1986, 1987, the locally produced song, including our own Clay Young. That's right. I can always get down with Wang Chung or a version of it that is Winnipeg specific. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, no, hey, well, if those, if you like all those tunes, that's yeah, cool. I'm not yeah, looking at, yeah. uh, but you're asking for my opinion, and I, yeah. I'm not particularly keen on most of those. So right. Sorry, man. Oh, that's all I'm right. sorry. I let you down. I'm all worked up now. I'm ready to go to the game. Good. Yeah, I'm going to leave now. Is that okay? Shanalee's going to step in. Yeah, there's lots going on this weekend. So while Greg gets out of here to tell you about some fun things you may want to do, here's 680 CJOB's morning show content producer, Shanalee Vidal. Number one. It's time to don your white attire because the Jet Street Party will be even bigger for Game 5 against the Wild. Economic Development Winnipeg says the street party will be expanded along Graham Street to accommodate up to 15,000 people. Another viewing screen will be added, bringing the total up to three. Plus, there's going to be even more vendors. And there's still that alcohol-free family zone behind the Millennium Library. Over the past two weeks, we've really seen the city bond over the Jets. Here is Dr. Raymond Abdul-Rahman, psychologist with Clinic Psychology Manitoba and regular guest on the CJOB Morning Show. It's hard to imagine something bigger than what's happening right now with the Jets. Um, But to me, it is about something bigger, and it's about the city, and it's about the people in the city, and it's about a sense of pride that we take in who we are, and it's a sense of belief that we have that we can improve who we are, and we can come together for greater things. And that's what this is about for me. Now, for drivers, please note that Graham Street will also be closed to allow more access. So, if you're headed to the street party, you may want to think about taking the bus. Number two. To us? You have a chance to see the beloved 1939 MGM classic, The Wizard of Oz, like you've never seen it before. On Saturday and Sunday, the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra is presenting Oz with Orchestra. You'll be watching Dorothy and Toto, along with the Scarecrow, Tin Man and Cowardly Lion, on the big screen as the WSO performs the score live. WSO resident conductor Julian Pelicano says they received a special copy of the film with vocals but no music. One of the challenges that that we have is to actually accompany these singers who, I mean, Judy Garland is on the film, but we are accompanying her the same way they would have done in the studio in 1939 when they were recording it. The WSO's presentation of Oz with Orchestra is Saturday evening with a matinee on Sunday. Tickets are available at WSO.ca. Number 3. Sunday is Earth Day, which actually started way back in 1970, making April 22nd the day for us to honour the Earth and think about what we can do all year round to help protect the environment. The theme this year is End Plastic Pollution. 
There are various events for Earth Day happening this weekend throughout the city at places like Fort Wine Alive, Oak Hammock Marsh and the Forks. As well, it's a great time to assemble your trash task team and help keep our city clean. And if you do take part in a cleanup, you won't have to worry about supplies coming out of your own pocket. Here's Tom Ethans from Take Pride Winnipeg. Anyone that wants to volunteer, we will provide garbage bags, we'll provide gloves and pickers, and we want to get people out there making that uh, city area that they're in cleaner and rid of litter. For more information about Earth Day, go to earthday.org. And to see what's happening locally, go to winnipeg.ca slash sustainability. Thank you very much, Shanalee Vidal. What's up, Mr. GMAC? Well, tomorrow, thank you to one of our listeners, tomorrow is in fact, we were talking about Prince earlier. Yes. The second anniversary of Prince's passing. Two years already? Two years ago. Wow. And I was, uh, remember I was lamenting the fact that I didn't go to see Prince when he played at the Walker Theater? Yeah. June 2nd, 2002, and then uh, the following night, like into the night, he celebrated his birthday at Le Rendezvous overnight. Cool. Apparently like uh, an epic seven or eight hours that some Winnipeggers had with Prince. Can you imagine that? that wow. So wow. Cool. Wow. So cool. He's such a dynamic, was such a dynamic performer, uh, just so much passion in the music and uh, so many great songs, just endless uh, amounts of great songs. Uh, great text here from Len, who says, left Winnipeg at 6.45 this morning on my way to Kelowna. Stop over in Calgary for two hours, sitting with my Jets jersey on at the Molson Brew House at the airport, having a Molson Brew, of course. All the WestJet personnel in Winnipeg are wearing Jets jerseys, and almost everyone who passes me says, go Jets, go. Love it. Thank you very much, Len. We, we had a request for this song on the way out, by the way. Okay. If you want a real jet song. Ah, because it's related to the movie Top Gun. Yes. That, which involved jets. Yes. Fighter jets. Yes. A squadron of them. Indeed. Like our ice hockey squadron. That's right. Of young warriors. <laughs> young ice hockey warriors. <laughs> Kenny Loggins, Danger Zone, <laughs> take it out. Gary, he's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Channel Lee Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. Ah!